Good evening and welcome to episode two of a very special three-part series with my very special guest, Amy Couch. Thank you, Amy, for joining us once again for part two of your particular podcast. In the first episode, just to summarize, and feel free to edit me for a little bit, we talked about your upbringing in uh, rural Arkansas. Mm-hmm. I can never say the word. Rural is hard it, to it's, say. It's very difficult. <laughs> I don't know why I can't have that. I can't say that Same. word. And growing up in an e- evangelical family, mm-hmm. we also talked about your experience basically discovering who you were as a sexual person and as just not even a sexual person, just a person in general from an evangelical standpoint. And as a, as a humanity person of the universe cosmos, you determined that you were queer and futurized by, um, not bisexual, lesbian. So at the end of the last episode, we talked about you coming out to your parents Mm -hmm. as a queer person and your relationship with your then-girlfriend at the time of seven years, Teresa. And presumably, I mean, I not presumably, you actually did wind up breaking up with Teresa, and we'll pick it up from there. So we'll, okay. you broke up with Teresa, and now you, and let's start there. So okay. what, what caused you to break up? It wasn't your parents. I mean, no, it was I, just you know, it relationship. Was just first relationship, it was, Seven you know, years is a long time. Seven years is a long time, but it... It was just time. We had we were just not going in the same direction. Young people. Yeah, young people. we were young. young. And so we Do you broke, still keep in contact? No, we no. don't. We did for a while, but we don't anymore. Okay. We do still have mutual friends. Okay. But, so I broke up. I called my parents to let them know where I was. And your parents had tried to subject you to some type of conversion therapy, which right. obviously didn't work. So no. that was not great. And so, you didn't talk to your parents for how long? Seven, um, seven years? Well, I was disowned for seven plus years. They um, disowned you or did you choose not to? No, was they it a, disowned me. Wow. So you. So would I have, continued to reach out and right. try to to offer, you know, different olive branches and make amends, you know, try to come up with some way for us to have a relationship. Mm -hmm. But that was not in the cards. So, but I continued to keep in touch as best I could. And so when I, we broke up, Teresa and I broke up and I was going to move to a different city in Oklahoma. So I was actually in Muskogee, Oklahoma. (laughs) Muskogee, Oklahoma. Muskogee, Oklahoma. (laughs) And I moved to Tulsa. So I called to let my family know my dad answered the phone and I said, you know, I just wanted to let you know that I'm moving because I had to, I had to speak quickly because he would hang up the phone. Right. And he would just be like, no. And hang, no, up. And hang up. Jesus. So I said, I, I'm just calling to let you know I'm moving and I want to give you my address. And he said, is she moving with you? And I said, no, it's just me. Not even her name. Just she. Is she. Mm-hmm. That girl, you know. <laughs> I said, no, it's just me. And so he said, okay, what's your new address? So I gave it to him. And within two weeks, they came up to visit. I hadn't seen both mom them. and dad. Okay. And brought my sister, mm. who is now like a grown-up. And know? not a lesbian. No, my sister's not a lesbian. Okay. No, she's not. And she's eight years younger than me. Okay. So I hadn't really seen my family until, you know, all this time. Right. So she Seven was 13, years. and now she's in her 20s. Like, wow. she's not even the same person. And so that very, that was, had a huge impact on me because I, I'm very family-oriented. I always have been. And I mean, I took care of my grandparents when they passed away. Like I was there. So I, that's part of who I am. And so to be ostracized from that for so long was really hard for me. Even though you were very happy with Teresa. I was, but I felt... Um, a missing part of you. 
yeah, and isolated. And I mm. wasn't a part, I couldn't access my traditions, mm. my family traditions, holiday traditions, mm. you know. So no Thanksgivings with your parents, none, none of that. None of that. Wow. Right? So you have to so create you your feel own. Super, but, but who wants to do that in their 20s, right? right? You're still, you're sort of in that. In between. In between a child and adult, right? Sure. And you still want those things. So, so they came back in full force and it was very overwhelming. And so I made the decision to go back in the closet. So, <laughs> because I've never gone back in the closet. It's, it's not a fun place I to be. I don't know what that means. So your parents just denied that they even heard that you were it's a lesbian. So like, well, like, what does that look it's like? It's never been discussed. It's never discussed, except for the with my son, which we can talk about later. But it was never discussed. So I... When you went... So you're, you're, okay, let me, let me back up for just a second. Being out of the closet meant that you were... Your parents fully knew that you were queer slash lesbian, yep. right? And your friends, your friends, everybody, my your whole community who were, was your queer. Your friends who were not associated with Teresa, right? Like your old Ar- Arkansan. Other than my friends from college who all, yes, they all knew that I was a lesbian. They all knew that you were a lesbian. So now you're back in the closet. Which, I have no idea what that looks it's like. It's terrible. You lose everyone. Wow. You lose your friends. So, But you gain your family. But you and your family. But. And eventually my friends, you know, some of my friends just, I mean, they all knew that I was having issues coping with my sexuality. The ones who really were my friends. So they're still here. Like, I'm still friends with them. We are st- we still see each other. So they they came around. But and you moved back to Arkansas with your parents. Not, no, no, no. Oh, so, okay. But I ended up finding a, the perfect person, male man to marry. His dad was gay. Mm. His dad left his mom for Mike, who they're still married to today. They've been married for like 30, 40 years at this point. So you're... My you, ex-husband. You've given us, uh, given us a lot of information so far. So your you're husband, who you, you wound up getting married to a man mm-hmm. after going back in the closet. Mm-hmm. How long did it take after you were back in the closet before you married this man? Well, I mean, back in the closet, I, I don't really... Right. Say I'm back means. in the closet until I'm actually dating a dude. Okay. So you dated your, you found this so, guy. So I don't know, a couple of years. Okay. So, and his parents, so his, his, his father was gay and wound up leaving his mom, your husband's dad wound up leaving his mom <laughs> for a man and they're still married. That's called foreshadowing. Yes. <laughs> yes. Unfortunately. What an odd Odd pattern. But, and you know, and, but for me, it felt like I still had a connection to the gay community. Through your husband's father, father. who was gay. And I was very upfront. And your husband was okay with that. I was very upfront with him. He knew that I had been with, that my last relationship was with a woman. There was no, no judgment from him because his dad was gay. So, so just very quickly, to clarify for our listeners and for myself... Was your last relationship with your woman or your only relationship with was what with was with my a woman? last one before? So you as yeah. a teenager you had been with both men and women? I mean yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I just wanted to make that clarification. Yeah. Okay. So your husband the guy who you who you were dating and wound up marrying, your husband, had a gay father who mm-hmm. he was who he was okay with. He mm-hmm. loved his gay father. I mean he had some he was still dealing with things, but he was it was a Sort of a a line that he would draw. You have to be okay with the fact that my dad is gay. Oh, right. Yeah, I'm totally. But okay a with lot that. of but a lot of people right. were not. Right. So when he said that to me, I was like, oh, 
Totally, yeah. totally fine with that, right? Hey, like, that's dad. awesome. Can I meet my gay dad-in-law? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. this is great. So, but it was, it definitely, I mean, I remember thinking it was a connection. It was, it kept me in the community. It was sort of a connection for mm. me. Okay. So, yeah, he's, and we are still very amicable. He has been incredible. You and your husband or you my and your husband? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, your we are not still married. No, clear, um, you and your you, my, so you and your husband are still amicable, and you and your a husband, your ex father in law. Yeah, but definitely my ex husband and I are are very amicable. It took some time. But, How long were um, you married? Ten years. Ten years of being back in the closet. There was not a lot of sex going on. Okay. <laughs> okay. But yeah, and and a lot of the I think the reason that it lasted as long as it did, so we were probably. Married two years before I got pregnant with my first son. So, pause for just a second. Clearly, there was some sex going on. Oh, yeah. Your husband. I mean, we all get horny. Well, right. Say it again. Mean it. (laughs) (laughs) Your husband knew that you had had your last relationship with a woman. Was with a woman. And was he like, I'm going to turn you and... No. But he just loved you and just wanted to show you that he loved you. So yeah. you guys had sex. And he wasn't. No, he's not that kind of guy. I mean, you know. He's a pretty mild-mannered, smart, IT, you know, gamer sort of dude. Like, sure. he's just easy in that um, way. So he, he just accepted that, you know, that yeah. was that. And so two years into it, you got pregnant. I got pregnant. And our son... Ian had um, started having very significant special needs very early. Did you know, like, were there at the time, were there tests ahead of time that would tell you, oh, your child is going to be blah, blah, blah? No. And in fact, they were not, they were only able to identify exactly what's wrong with him about three years ago. So when the science could catch up and actually determine what was going on. But no, he, there were no tests that showed there, there was anything wrong the pregnancy was perfectly healthy. He was born on his due date. There was no indication that there was. So, be a how far into it did you did determine that oh, um, my child is? He started having seizures at ten months old, mm. and so we were thinking just epilepsy, which is a lot anyway. Sure. But that's when we began to notice that he was not meeting his developmental milestones. But it took a while because you know, as a as a new parent, you don't know what you're doing. Right? You have no clue, and you've never seen it before, and it's your baby, and you think your baby's perfect. So so what are the milestones that he missed? He was late on walking. He was late on, well, very late on speech. He's never spoken. Never? Never. Ever? Wow. I mean, he's had some approximations where we were like, oh, did he just say that? But we can't really tell you for sure that he said it because it never really happened again. So when you say he is not speaking, it, are there sounds that are coming from his mouth? Yes. Or is it, okay. he, he, he vocalizes a okay. lot, but they don't really have a meaning. They're just more sounds. Typical things that children do, milestones would be, you know, fine motor skills, being able to stack <coughs> blocks, for example. Stack or blocks. Like to stack blocks or to play, to have joint attention to be able to play a game back and forth, okay. to take turns, to bring you a toy. A big piece and that is very common, especially with kids with autism, is imitation, right? Children learn through imitation. Ian never imitated. So, like, you'll see kids with a phone pretending to be mommy and daddy or brushing their hair yeah. or whatever they're doing. 
imitating something that they're seeing. He, ne- he to this day, has never imitated. And so those were the things that he, there's certain, you know, every so many months you're supposed to be able to say, oh, he's, you know, he's sitting up, he's standing, Rolling he's walking, whatever, he right. can stack two blocks, he can play this game, he, you know. So as parents, did you go through, I mean, as you were sort of watching this happen or mm-hmm. not happen? Right. Right. I assume you had friends and or family. Well, maybe not family, but friends. Well, they're all back in the game now. Right, so. right, right. But friends who were like, hey, how come Ian isn't oh, so and nobody will say. Oh, nobody said. No, they talk about you behind your back. They don't uh, tell you. Oh, that's the worst. Oh, my God. I thought that somebody would say, hey, you know what? So, you know, I mean, maybe. No, no one Because would no say. one wants to make a judgment. And, no, and they're not sure. And they don't want to like. And then how do you say, <clears> you know what? I think there's something wrong with your baby. Right, like right. Because you're not going to. Take that well, right? right? That's not an right. easy conversation. And obviously, my parents have issues with confrontational conversations. So let's let's talk about that for just a so, second. You you were married. Yes. You had a mother and a father, and your husband had a mother and a father, mm-hmm. right? Presu- I guess. Yes. So now you're pregnant. Your parents must be overjoyed that you are thrilled, like pregnant and the perfect have a, heterosexual woman, right? And and now a couple years into it. It looks like something may not be right with the right. baby. Well, he was diagnosed with autism because they didn't really have another answer when he was 18 months old. And so, this was what year? Uh, 2003. Oh. Okay, so fairly well into it then. Yeah. Okay. So he was 18 months old. So he started having seizures at 10 months old. And then I was convinced that it was the seizure medication that was delaying the milestone. Did like, you call your mom and be like, oh, my God, Ian's having seizures? Oh, yeah. We took him to the hospital. It was oh, terrible. Okay. Like, super scary. Um, and what did your mom say? I mean, they were all very supportive at the time. It really wasn't until he was diagnosed with, you know, an intellectual disability that they got churchy on me, I okay. guess, for lack of a better term. But my mom actually told me that. Well, she asked me if, she said, you do know, right, that the reason Ian has his disability is because you had sex with women. So, t- just <laughs> walk me through what that what that conversation is. You go to mom, and you're like... So, she's at, she's at our house. We've just recently gotten the diagnosis from a neurologist. That um, he has autism. That he has autism. Mm-hmm. And give him very, rant, you know, sort of scary orders as to what to do in terms of therapy and different things. Nobody really knew at that point. It was still very new. It was very Rain Man. Like, I right. actually asked the doctor, like, you mean autism like Rain Man? Right, right. Like, no, we're so much more advanced. Like, is he a savant? Yes, right? yes. Mm-hmm. And so we were talking about, you know, all the things I had researched and what was going on and what did this mean for him. Rain Man is a movie from the 1990s about an idiot savant. If you haven't seen it, please watch it. Yes. It's a great movie with... Uh, Dustin Hoffman. Dustin Hoffman, yes. And Tom Cruise. Yes, and Tom Cruise, who uh, have feelings about, but whatever. Rain Man, watch it. Yeah. Go ahead, keep going. Anyway, <laughs> so we were having this conversation in our apartment. Um, it was just my mom and I and Ian. Ian and, was there. Yeah, but he was the baby. Right. I mean, people have said, so I have to say, just as an aside, here's the thing. People who can't speak still can hear. Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Uh, that's not an aside. That's so. Here's the thing. I want everybody on this podcast to know that that is. If we don't learn anything else from this podcast, so here is the thing. Say it again, Amy. People who cannot speak can still hear. Yes. 
So don't talk to someone who can't speak back to you or talk about them in front of them as if they are not there. Yes. Because they hear everything. And just because you don't have proof of their intellectual ability doesn't mean that it's there or that they can process it. And as as technology advances and and nonverbal people are able to communicate through technology, we are learning that even the most that's the, the ones that seem the most impaired understand everything that's going on around them. Mm. So keep so, going. Walk us through that. So, um, mm. so then my mom, you know, we were talking, I, and I'm, I don't know if I said something like, I just don't know how this happened or, you know, cause I was so careful during right. my pregnancy and I didn't drink coffee and, you know, nothing. <laughs> all the things, right. All yes. the things. And she said, well, you know, this happened because of your sin, because you had, sexual relations with women and this is god's way of teaching you you know giving you consequences to your actions and teaching you that lesson so she said that and my answer to that was so and your mom is bold enough this is i well, mean, I mean your I mom is truly, like a fairly bold person she believed it she really thought it would be some sort of comfort i guess or an explanation mm. but my my response was so god doesn't care about ian's life Ian is just a tool mm. to punish me. He's a child. He's an innocent baby. And he, his life is forfeit just because you so need to God be a lesson. can teach me this lesson. Mm. And then I said some other terrible things to my mother and sure. told her to leave. Mm. You know, but yeah, she, she definitely said that. And I, you know, I think. And so, I, I'll go ahead, go. go. Uh, I mean, I do think that they love him as they, as best they can. Conditionally. Yeah. I mean, they don't see him very often. Mm. Um, so what? So you determined that it was not a punishment from God. <laughs> I and mean, yes, yes. I, you, know. you also determined and walk us through this that it was not a genetic thing; that it was not passed on from so we, your. So, yes, yes. So, so, so we didn't learn that. that until much later. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, much later. How much? So we this was, only found that out about three years ago. Okay. So how old was this when? You, how old was he when you had 14. this? Fourteen. No, oh, when you had the eighteen months old. Oh, so fourteen years. So you are wondering. Well, maybe it was me. Maybe it was. What's your husband's name or Chris. your ex-husband? Yeah. What was his name? Chris. Chris. Maybe it was Chris. Maybe it was the coffee that I drank. Maybe it was the the crystal meth, not the. Cri- <laughs> Totally the crystal meth. Um, no, it's a constant. And I think all families, all parents of children with disabilities wonder that. If, yeah. Especially if they can't if they can't identify why. It's a huge problem. And, you know, the divorce rate among parents with a child with an intellectual disability and especially with autism is 80%. So you talked to I should and let me preface this. In my pre-work that I did, mm-hmm. Amy sent me a number of articles and some information, and we tried to do an outline about what we would be talking about. And one of the articles that that you wrote, actually, I thought was quite compelling. Was it for the humanist organization mm-hmm. that you used to work for? So Amy wrote this fantastic article, and if I could figure out how to link it, I would link it, but maybe not. I'll figure it out. But one of the things that you said in the article was that it was such a relief. And talk to yeah. me and us about what the relief must have been like for you and your husband. Right. And did you have arguments about like, right. oh, it's your fault. It's his, or like, uh, like, how did that manifest itself? Right. And then once you found out, how did that? Right. I mean, I think, I think a lot of families struggle with that. I think parents are always, you know, 
wow, he looks more like you. So genetically, maybe he's more like you. Mm. Or, you know, parents of kids with autism often start to like nitpick to see who has it, right? Which parent has it? Well, you have ADHD. So that's sort of related. And, you know, as a mom, you're constantly, you know, did I eat something? Did I expose myself to something? Did I do something wrong when they were an infant? Like, you're constantly thinking about that. So even though you try not to focus on it, it's always in the back of your mind. And what were there things that you were doing while, and this is probably inappropriate, but whatever. Like, were you smoking? Nope. You were you, I can't imagine you were doing any drugs. Nope. No drinking, you, like, no caffeine, yeah. no ibuprofen, nothing. All the things that you, at the I mean, time, felt like you were supposed to be doing. Textbook perfect right? pregnant right. mother. Yeah, totally. Um, and did you put like the, I know this This is may or may not be a thing. <laughs> to make your baby smarter, right? They say, oh, put um, no, classical music. But I read you know to, what I'm saying? But I read to my belly all the time. Read, read to your belly, yes. And I was in graduate school studying political philosophy. So, you know, <laughs> he was getting all kinds of Aristotle and Plato and all wow. kinds of stuff. So. Okay. No, uh, yeah, so, like, there was no reason, um, and neither of us have any kind of disability in our family history. Mm. Yes, I was going to ask that, yeah. No, so it, I think I have, like, a third or fourth cousin way, way far away that has Down syndrome. Okay. But that's it, and I, you know, he has depression and different, you know, ADHD, but no kind of really intellectual disability in his family. So, before we get to the final diagnosis, which is 14 years later, Tell us a little bit, a little bit, a lot, however much you care to, about what those years were like for you. And I think that, let me just say this, that part of the reason that I chose you or we chose each other for the for your subject on the podcast is when you told me that you had a challenged, and we'll talk about mm-hmm. the terminology in a second, but a, a, a son who had, uh, you know, some challenges... I was like, listen, I work with Amy every day. Like, what must your day-to-day be like? And that's what I, uh, that's right. how I started. Like, I want to talk to you about what your, what your day-to-day, week-to-week, like, what it must be like to have a child mm. like that. So, can you tell us a little bit so, about that? So, Ian is incredibly impaired intellectually, at least as best as we can tell. He can walk, and, you know, he's not physically impaired in that way. It took us 12 years to toilet train him. So he is technically is toilet trained now, but he still has to wear um, a pull up at night. Okay. And he's 17. 17. He can't button his own clothes or fasten his clothes, so he needs assistance getting dressed. Um, And that's because his hands are. Yeah, he just can't manage. Um, He's better now. He can pull up and down a zipper, but he can't connect the zipper at the bottom of a coat. So if you you connect it. He can zip it, but he can't do it on his own. That's what I was going to ask. Is it intellectually that he can, is it intellectual that he doesn't understand that like that it has to be fastened, or is it a physical I like I can't move my hands around? I think it's maybe it's hard to tell. It could be. I mean, he will try, right? So mm-hmm. he obviously knows that's he what knows he's supposed, that that to, supposed do, to do, right? But he can't get it to to work. Okay. He can't write um, at all. No, he actually hates it. Does he know his like? That there are letters and numbers and that that is how we communicate? We're not sure. Okay. Right? There's a lot of things about Ian. (laughs) He responds to things he shouldn't understand. Mm. Right? So I'll say, you know, I don't know, something random. Like I remember being at home at one point when he was younger and I'd be like, you know, Ian, you need to sit down. It's time for breakfast. And I wasn't looking at him. I was doing breakfast. I'm like, Ian, you need to sit down. It's time for breakfast. 
not really intending for him to respond because he can't, right? In my mind, he's like, he doesn't understand what I'm saying. I turn around and he's sitting down at the table. Mm. Now, he doesn't always do that, mm. right? But he got that. There are well, other... It's a sentiment. It was something about the way you said it or the fact it that he just, was ready to hear it. It just clicked. Or he right? was just ready for breakfast that he was like... Right. And we've learned now... So he now is learning to communicate with an, an iPad. And we're learning that there's a lot more that he understands than we thought. Right? But, you know, if you can't communicate in any way and you're not motivated to communicate... It's hard to know how much they understand in terms of complicated sentences or relationships or whatever. So we're learning that. But who's we? Uh, his teachers, me, anybody in his life, really. So talk. So I don't want to move away from this, and I don't want to get off topic. But I do want to just round out. You were married with your husband for ten years. Mm-hmm. You had Ian when you were two years in or three mm-hmm. years in. So for eight years or seven years or however long it was, you and your husband were married. Mm-hmm. And you were dealing, not dealing. I well, mean, kind of dealing. Right. But like, you know, being married with a child with these challenges. Well, two, actually, because his brother was born. They're, they're 18 months apart. Mm, right. Now, Quinn is very high functioning. He'll go to college, no questions. But at the, when he was little, he presented very similarly. Mm, wow. So he didn't speak till he was three. Mm, three? Three. Okay. And only in therapy. There were lots of similarities. So from our perspective at that point, we, I thought I had two Ians. Wow. Which was terrifying. And so (laughs) how did, I can't even imagine. Because not only did Ian not learn, he was aggressive. He had very aggressive behaviors and which is why he actually is in a residential school placement now. What does that mean? Tell me aggressive. Uh... Um, well, he's self-injurious. So I guess about three and a half or four years old, he started biting himself, hurting himself. But in terms of aggression toward others, hair pulling, biting, kicking, hitting. Is it random or is it when he gets upset? Most of it is about not being able to communicate. Okay. So I'm saying you need to come with me. And he's saying, I don't want to. But he can't say, I don't want to. He's... You know, toddlers can say or no. I'm not ready or I'm trying to do or this thing. Or why do we have the, to right, do this? Or right. I don't understand or this scares me. He can't say any of those things. So he learned how to communicate that, which was, and you think about it, if you tell someone or try to pull someone to do something with you and they kick you in the shin or bite you, what are you going to do? Right. You're going to back off. You're right. going to like jump back and stop whatever you're doing. You're going to stop. You're going to stop. And so it's a very, there's a big reinforcer. Right. For aggressive behavior, because they're, they just, I think the first time they do it, it's just a reaction. natural reaction. Right. But then you reward that by stopping and they go, oh, so so if I kick you, then you'll stop. So right. that's how I tell you no. So, so for our listeners, I'm pulling Amy. Amy hits me. Right. And I'm like, whoa, she right. just hit me. Now I've stopped. And that to my emotional slash intellectually challenged brain says, oh, that's the way I get her to stop. That's the... That's how I tell her, no. Right. And... But we all do that. Think right. about, uh, but, you know. So, and I was just going to say, so that's how when when we were young, we would be, we would teach ourselves the language. Mm-hmm. And for verbal language, right, if my mom said, stop, 
and then she hit me, then I would know, oh, those things are connected, right? She means stop, hit my hand, and those things mean not only just, hey, next time she yells, stop, that, you know, the right. things are connected. Right. But if a person can't verbalize, right. there's only the one way, and it's that. Right. It's, it's right. that. <laughs> and if you think about it, if you're trapped in a body and you can't communicate, but you have all of these, the feelings we all have. Right. And you finally find that thing. You're going to. That allows you to, to get a react, the reaction you're looking for. Lock onto of course that. you're going to lock onto it. Right. right? So it, at the time it was much harder to see that because my child was hurting me and hurting all of us. And it mm. was very dangerous. Um, How did your husband react? Um, so he worked and I stayed home. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> Somebody had to work, yes. right? Typical heterosexual. Um, you know, but, but Ian and I am just, I was better with the kids. Um, Both kids. Yeah, but most of the focus at that point was really on Ian. Ian also didn't sleep. Mm. At all? So, no, not really. So he, which is also typical um, of his genetic disorder, we have found out later. But um, he's so aggressive, um, intellectually very impaired, didn't sleep, so he might take a nap in the afternoon, but and I might be able to put him to sleep and he at like nine or ten, but by midnight he was awake and he was awake all night. He also has no sense of danger. Mm. So he would like climb up on top of his chest of drawers and just walk right off the edge. Mm. No idea that if I step off of the top of this chest of drawers, I will fall. Right. None. Wow. So he couldn't be alone. So if he's up, you're up. And that went on for about six years. Mm. No sleep. So I assume that that it caused an emotional toll and an intellectual toll in your marriage. Mm-hmm. That's basically what I'm trying to say. Yes. The what I also want to say is that because you're you are who you are and you've only lived the experiences that you've lived, you don't know what this sounds like to a to an no. outside person. Does that make sense? Yes. That that's what I'm like. That's the thing that I I was trying to verbalize. So. Yes. <laughs> Right. Walk us through what that what that was like. Um, so you know, I I think I mean I knew in my in graduate school before Ian was conceived that that the marriage needed to end. Right, like I, we were at that place where I was like, you know, this was bad decision. But then you get pregnant, and then it's like, okay, well, we'll see where this goes. And then he, within you know within the first year, we were having very serious medical issues. So anything that goes all your personal relationship just goes to the side, right? right? You have this tiny little person who's so dependent and you just, you know, like I said earlier with my optimism, I looked at everything as, okay, so this is a problem. So what do I have to do to fix it? Just give me, give me the, you know, give me the equation and I'm going to go fix that. Was there some sense that you had to stay together? We had to because I couldn't handle it by myself. Because he was a home and he wasn't sleeping and he was aggressive and he had significant health issues. So I couldn't work and do that. And I couldn't afford to have a 24-hour staff in the house. I don't want to get too far off topic, but there is a nugget in there that I want to make sure that I address in that people who are in unhappy marriages often stay together because of the kids. Mm. Yeah. Challenged or not, right? Right. It just, we got to make it work because of the kids. So I I wonder how that compares. It was more like we were teammates. Mm. It was more like, because it was never like, 
I hate you and I want a divorce. Clearly. Right. right. Yes. It was <laughs> like, okay, I'm going to be up for the next three hours. You go take a, take a nap and then I'm going to text you or I'm going to yell at you through the baby monitor and you come down and then I'm going to sleep. And then <laughs> not you know, yell at you through the baby monitor. Right? He didn't want to wake up. Right. Well, no, Ian we were got, no, Ian was awake the whole time. Oh, right? okay, yeah, so we're up yeah, all night. Uh, so I'm yeah. like, okay, I'll take, you know, midnight to two and then you take two to four and then I'll get up at four. And yeah. so it was, we were just planning all the time. You know, you take like, I, it would take two hours of singing to get Ian to sleep every mm. night, but I had a tiny baby. Can you sing? I can. <laughs> okay. Anyway, go ahead. But I had a tiny, you know, his little brother who was, you know, a baby, 16, yeah. 14 months old, that I would have to, like, baby gate off in his room so I could take care of his older brother. So then when dad came home from work, he would scoop up Quinn. So there was, it was, it was more managing. It was, it was a team effort to make sure make that we were keeping everything afloat. And by the time that everyone was ever finally asleep, we were passing out. So did it from the outside in, right? Mm. I'm listening to this and I'm like, I can imagine that that would, how that might tear a family apart. Right. But I also imagine that it might bring you all closer together because you all are on the same team and you know you have to do it for Ian. Mm-hmm. And it's like such a like, we're in it for Ian. Like it's a... Right. I don't know. Like I think I think that's part of why my relationship with my ex husband is is what it is. It's we're kind of like war veterans, mm-hmm. right? We've been through this terrible ordeal together, so and even continue to I right, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But that the home part was really the, those first eight years were extreme, and I think. And you got no parents, no help from your parents. Well, none of our family live here, right? So they would come occasionally, but. But not enough to be right. significant. And, but also, oh. hey, it's a punishment, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> right. No, so I think that's, the, you know, I think we did, I think our relationship is stronger because of it, because nobody else understands. Mm. There's no one else on the planet that gets it. No, I'm right? sure. So regardless of how our relationship changed, that piece is the same. Yeah. Yeah. So one other question, then I have more specific questions about Ian. What was it like for... What's your, what's your other son's name? I'm Quinn. sorry. Quinn. I assume that at some point, Quinn passed Ian emotionally, oh. intellectually, developmentally. Walk us through that. Tell me tell me what that must have been like for for Quinn or for, for you all. Like how that I mean, manifests it, itself. In some ways, it was relieving, right? Mm. Because we originally thought we had two Ians, mm. which, you know, in my mind was two adult men in diapers mm. who can't speak. And, you know, I had... So, so part of it was exciting because he was not the same and he was learning and he was responding to therapy and he was obviously very bright. It's been very difficult for Quinn, I think more so than for us, because Mm. to us, like Ian is just special. He's different. He's not on the same trajectory as the rest of the world. So it was never, I don't know that I spent a lot of time thinking, wow, you know, Ian's two years older and he's not even you know, half as developed. I don't, you know, I mean, I think now that they're both almost grown men, it's a little, maybe a little bit more of that, but, but it was, it's been very difficult for Quinn because he has a brother, but he is also very much an only child. Literally what I was going to say, does he, does he feel like, or do you, do you, have you talked to him about, does he feel like he has a brother or does, is he he feel like. He feels that Ian has a terrible life and it's very, and it's very sad. And so he's very conscious of who Ian is and, you know, what science is 
happening in terms of understanding and how to, to help people with intellectual disabilities. But he has no relationship with Ian. There's no... I think Ian, Ian definitely has, in his own way, a connection to Quinn. You can tell that, you know, that he's happy when he sees Quinn and he's very comfortable with Quinn. And Quinn is just sort of part of his world. But there's no interaction. There's no real brother. Brother, yep. I have, a, I have a younger brother, and I can't tell you how different we could we are, but we are very, very close. Right. And it's, I can't imagine what it must be like for Quinn to know that he shares a gene pool. Right. <laughs> with, it was very scary, especially when we had to tell Quinn that he was on the autism spectrum. Mm. Because at the time... He didn't know it. Well, when he was little, he yeah. didn't. And so, you know, at the time, we didn't know that Ian had a genetic disorder because mm-hmm. it hadn't... Science hadn't caught up yet. So we just knew Ian had autism, and then Quinn was diagnosed. But, you know, with a kid who's verbal, you have to decide when to tell them, right? So we had to be very careful because in in Quinn's mind, autism was Ian. Ian, period. And to say, you're going to be, you're this, like that would be terrifying to him. So that was a little tricky. The word spectrum is... Right. Right. <laughs> and that's what we used. We, I used the color wheel, mm-hmm. you know, that white is on one end and black is on the other. And this whole, we looked at the whole, how the colors change from one to the other. So I said, you know, on the red spectrum, Ian is this dark red and you're right. barely pink. Right. Right. You're still on the same color line. Maybe orange, maybe right. light orange. Right. Whatever. <laughs> right. But you're not yeah. the same color. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it was, you know, it was tricky for him. For sure. So. We've gone quite a quite a quite a bit around the farmer's bin, but I do want to touch on at least not even really touch on hone in on what it who is Ian and in your article you give us an acronym D E A F mm-hmm. is it just so that is a so tell us about that is protein. it just one or is it it's a specific protein yeah. on a gene how do you say it is well it you def? say it def one okay def one but it's mm-hmm. like. Oh, I don't know if I can remember it off the top of my head. It's deformed epidural. I can't remember. I'll have to look it up for you. Sure. Okay. But so there, um, he has two letters. So there's a chain of letters basically in this protein, and two of his are inverted. Okay. Right. So those tiny changes have caused all of the things that are going on with him. But the science didn't catch up until just recently. So he's been studied by the NIH for the last. Since he was four. And deformed epidural, uh, I'm sorry, deformed no. epidermal autoregulatory factor one. Right. Which means tell us, <laughs> right. I mean, it's, it's a genetic term. But it's a protein on a gene. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, people with any sort of, I guess, uh, mutations on that gene have a wide range of intellectual disability, sleep disorders, aggressive behavior, seizures. Pretty much everything that Ian has. Emotional. Are, That's it. So. Are connected to these mutations. Now. So it's intellectual. It's physical. It's intellectual. It's behavioral. It's physical. And it's emotional. And it's emotional. Okay. Yeah. It controls all of that. And so. And these two tiny genes. Yeah, well, they're just letters. They're just right. letters in the protein chain. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he has two. The last time that I talked to the neurologist. There's been no other child in the world identified with the exact same mutation that Ian has. 
So you, t- so there are you other called children, that the X-Men factor. Right. There are other children with different mutations on the DEF1 gene, but none of them match Ian's. So he is sort of, you know, ground zero for who he is. Looking at you outside, <laughs> outside in. Oh, there's a white woman with blonde hair. And, you know, she's out here with the pumpkin spice latte. Whatever the things are. Don't (laughs) judge. No. (laughs) You know, and and who knows what you are actually going through, right? So I want to touch on a number of things without going too far, too far or too long into it. But these are important things because I'm not only fascinated, but I'm learning a lot. And I want my listeners to learn a lot. Talk about, one, the decision to change him to, not not change him, but move him to residential, mm-hmm. right? Talk to us a little bit and, and what that means. Mm-hmm. Talk to us a bit about finding the right kind of facility and or school for him, mm-hmm. right? Talk to us about some of the challenges that you have faced and continue to face. Mm-hmm. But before all of that, I want you just... I have not met him. I've not had the pleasure of meeting him. I just want you to tell me, tell us, who is Ian? I would be happy to. He's, so he has super curly, blondish red hair, big blue eyes, uh, super thin. He's tall? No, he's very small. So mm. he's maybe 5'2". Oh, wow. Um, okay. He's pretty little. And he's 17, 16? 17. 17. He has a great sense of humor. His humor is very uh, weird, but he definitely has it. He loves to be outside. So, so. he's nonverbal, but he laughs. Oh, yeah. And he plays jokes and he teases <laughs> and it's um, he's super funny. Like the first time he learned how to say no with his iPad, we were at Walmart and we were getting things for him and he's pushing the cart. And I'm like, okay, it's we've gotten, you know, I don't know, deodorant. Now we need to go get shampoo. And he hit no on his iPad. And then he started laughing and jumping up and down. And then he hit no again and laughed and laughed. Like this was the most hysterical thing because now I can say no. And what are you going to do? Right? It was this <laughs> perfect, like quintessential teenager moment. So he, you know, those, he finds things uh, You were just in Walmart. Just- and I'm la- I, t- I videotaped it because I was like, oh my God, he's actually, this is, this is amazing. He loves nature. He loves trees. He loves leaves. He loves water. He loves horses. We hike every weekend. He, his favorite food in the whole world are chocolate chip cookies. He can eat more cookies than any person I have ever seen. Does he have a big appetite? He eats, yeah, every time, every weekend when we go to McDonald's, he eats a dozen of those big oh ass gosh. chocolate chip cookies. A and dozen? Then, and <laughs> then he eats 20 chicken nuggets. Ugh. Right? And he weighs and like he 110 pounds. No. <laughs> he would eat two dozen of those cookies oh if I let him. God. It's ridiculous. <laughs> he loves, yeah, he's, <laughs> he's super affectionate with me. And he, I'm probably his favorite person. He definitely has teachers that he likes a lot. And that he has good relationships with. But is he affectionate with his brother? Mm, he will be, mm. but not spontaneously. Okay. So he will take my hand. He will give me a kiss. He will hug me spontaneously without me asking for that. Not so much with Ian. Mm. No, may, no. With he, or with Quinn. Yeah. yeah. So he loves dogs. He loves animals. I mean, he's just a sweet. He's very laid back. He loves music. His favorite movie is Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> 
And he watches it every weekend. Listen, who doesn't love Winnie the Pooh? I mean, right? (laughs) (laughs) And he's he's a classic, a classicist, because he likes the 1970 version, the real one. Yes, not this, whatever, the animated nonsense, computer generated, right? Right. No, no, no. He likes the real one. So, what was I going to say? Crap, I forgot what I was going to say. Keep going. Okay, so, so when he was little, he was very different from this. But now that he's older... And he's learned things, and he's able to communicate. He has, he's changed tremendously, and you can actually see much more of who he is. I know what it was. Two questions. First question is, how old is he intellectually slash emotionally? And the second question is, it's not really a question, but a statement of, what a wonderful journey it must have been to get to know this person mm-hmm. in such a different way. Right. Like, you know, how you get to know people, like I'm getting to know you and our listeners are getting to know you tonight. We're doing this through audio, through podcast, verbally. And what a what a lovely, odd, sometimes frustrating, but what ultimately fulfilling journey that must have been to, like, get to know this wonderful human being who loves right. Winnie the Pooh. I, I love right. that. <laughs> no, it's um, because everything that he, these moments where you connect and you get a laugh. Right, like you, you, he plays a joke or you play a joke and you connect. It's so rare mm. that when it happens, it's, it's like, like <gasps> I right, right. It, it's like it you, sustains you, you until this, the next because one. Because he's the older he's gotten, his affect has gotten very flat. I mean, he's a teenager, right? Sure, so, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, he's like, right. <laughs> whereas he was little, he was very smiley, and now he's yeah. kind of flat. But yeah. when you get that, when his face breaks into that huge smile, or he starts laughing, and it's just like. It's like the, the clouds part and the sun comes out. It's amazing. And you really value the smallest communications, the smallest connections. You know, Ian will stop in the middle of the woods and look up and watch the leaves move at the top of the canopy in the wind. How many people do that? And so that's, I'm not going to get off topic. I promise. <laughs> I promise. But I wonder if having Ian or being with Ian and I, I almost wish we all had an Ian mm. to make us more appreciative and make us like pause and like look at somebody. If I'm look, like I'm looking at you right now and I'm like, wow, just the way that the the track lights in my house are hitting your hair. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yeah, but it's, it, it, like it's, a, yes. it's a thing that we really need to pause and pay attention right. to. And Ian just has that gift. And what a lovely gift it is right. just to be like, look at that. Like, look at those. (laughs) And I think a lot of people with autism do that because they're focused. They don't. The research that I've read shows that they don't have the filter that we do Mm. to so to determine what they should focus on in a Mm. room. Right. So, you know, we're looking we're in your living room and there are hundreds of different things that I could look at. Any number of things. Right. right, Yeah. So I could be focused on the lights behind you or I could be focused on the clock or or something like that. But I know in my brain I'm supposed to be focusing on you. Right. But someone with autism doesn't know that necessarily. And I, you know, and even though Ian has a genetic, this genetic disorder, he's still classified as, and he presents very much as someone with autism. So they see what they want to see. They focus on what gets their attention, right? So it might be a tiny leaf moving. It might be the way the water is dripping into a pond where we wouldn't see that. Right? Right. We're looking at the trail, we're looking at the bridge, we're looking at the whatever. The destination. Right. Or talking to someone and not seeing anything. But they're focusing on these tiny things that are in the peripheral that often we miss. One last thing before we move on to the other topics is what is the term 
Um, there are many things that people say. They people say challenged. People say disabled. Some people say you know differently abled. Is there some like right term? I mean, and the, then, te- the technical term right now is intellectual disability. Okay. So that's the term. I want to make sure I'm saying the right thing. Right. So and the, my listeners are saying the right, right thing. Right. So that's what, for example, the school system will say. The abbreviation would be ID. Mm-hmm. But I think it just depends. It depends on the person and what their preference is. Some people prefer, you know, abled. Mm-hmm. Some people prefer special needs. I think it just Challenged depends. Challenged all right. sorts of things, right? Um, definitely not retarded. Uh, clearly. Right. No, or dis- I can't even or, believe you said that well, in my house. <laughs> or disabled. Yeah. Um, but, you know, all of those words, I mean, idiot came from that. It mm. used to be idiot. Mm-hmm. So, you know, any word that those words are, are not used, even just like disabled, handicapped, things mm. like that. And I had a whole conversation on one of my previous podcasts about the word handicapped. We still say park in the handicapped spot. Right. Right. That's still a thing. And there's still this idea of a blue sign with a man in a wheelchair as if that's like the end all be all of somebody who has a disability. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's a whole conversation. I hear you. I understand what you're saying. That's why I wanted to like focus in on that. So. Right. So I hate to cut this episode short, but it went longer than I thought that it would. Stay tuned for part three, the final part in Amy's three part series, during which we will continue to talk to Amy about her experience raising an autistic child or a child with intellectual disabilities and um, what a challenge it has been for Amy to find an appropriate group residential home um, due to um, a number of things. Thank you. This has been another episode of So Here's the Thing. Thank you and like, subscribe, share it with others and good night.